I want to start today by sharing a story with you, a story that I first heard from uh, our missionary to Thailand. Many of you know Jeff Gordon. He shared this story, and I want to share it with you again today. It's called The Life-Saving Station. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occurred, there stood a life-saving station. The building was just a hut, really, and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members of the station kept a vigilant watch over the sea. And with no thought for themselves, they went out day and night to search for the drowning. Many of those who were rescued were so grateful that they joined the work of the station, pledging their time and money to its work. Over time, new boats were bought and new crews were trained. The life station, life-saving station grew and more lives were spared. In time, some of the members became concerned that the station was so crudely and poorly equipped. They felt that since they spent so much time and energy there, it ought to be more comfortable and with better equipment. They reasoned that those who were rescued would also recover faster if they had better accommodations. So those old cots that they had been using for emergencies were replaced with nice cozy beds and the hut was enlarged and remodeled. But with those improvements, the stations became a popular hangout for its members who began to invest more time and more money in it. It became even more comfortable and uh, more well-equipped, and soon fewer and fewer of the crews were willing to leave it to go out in the boats on those cold and stormy seas to rescue the perishing. One night, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the few lifeboats who went out returned with dozens of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and bloody with their clothes ripped to shreds by the barnacle-covered rocks. The station was in chaos. And that night, there had been a meeting of the members, and most of the members who were at that meeting were upset that it had been so rudely interrupted by this pack of disheveled and needy survivors. They determined that outbuildings needed to be constructed where the life-saving task could be processed with more efficiency and where the area that they spent more time in was less, uh, less dirtied up. Eventually, a rift developed between the people who still went out in the boats and those who hadn't been out in a boat in years. Most of the members wanted to discontinue the station's life-saving activities because they were unpleasant and only got in the way of their normal social life. Others insisted, however, that rescue was their primary purpose. And they pointed out that they were still called a what? A life-saving station. But this minority was ignored and told if they wanted to keep saving lives, well, they could just go down the coast and build another life-saving station. So they did. But just 20 years later, the same thing happened all over again in the new station, and another station was started. Today, if you visit that seacoast, you will find a dozen very impressive life-saving stations. One of them is even cleverly built in the shape of a lifeboat. And most of the members of the stations wear a little charm of a boat on a chain around their neck. Sadly, though, shipwrecks still occur in those waters, but most of the people in them are lost. You know, I wonder, when God looks down from heaven this morning, is that how he sees many of the places that claim to be doing his work in this world? What do we call those places? Churches. When God looks down and he sees the places that are supposed to be life-saving stations, does he see them becoming what these stations had become? And to be honest with you, church family, I don't think by any means we're there yet, 
But if we're not careful, if we don't stay focused, I promise you that is exactly what can and will happen to this church family called New Hope Community Church. And from time to time, to be honest with you, I see evidence of it pop up in our church family. Sometimes I get small indicators that that sometimes people have gotten comfortable or that, that sometimes people enjoy church. We enjoy the activities. We enjoy the teaching. We enjoy the blessings. We enjoy the fellowship. And I believe that God would cause a a, a warning flag to go up today for us to make sure that we keep the intensity and the passion of a life-saving station. Over the next few weeks, we're going to think about why did this church ever even start in the first place? What are we doing here? Why do we get together and do what we do? What was our purpose? What was our mission? What was the task? Not that Robbie came up with, not that we came up with. What did God have in mind when he started this place? Well, one of the things we're going to learn about is that God intended for us to be a life-saving station. We're going to see that the mission of New Hope Community Church, one of the primary focuses, if not the focus for our church, is to bring people to faith in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So please turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, because it's in that passage that we're going to learn some things about ourselves. And I want to tell you, some of the things we're going to learn about ourselves are going to be a little bit uncomfortable. Are you okay with discomfort this morning? It's going to be a little uncomfortable. It's bothered me this week. It bothered me yesterday when I preached it. It bothered me last night. It bothered me this morning. It's bothered me right now. We ought to be uncomfortable with the things that we're going to learn today. We're going to learn some things about ourselves. We're going to learn some things about God. But let's look at two things in these verses. In verses 1 through 2, I believe the Lord has put this passage in His Word to teach us about our mission, about His heart, about our focus. And the first thing that comes out in these verses is that we need to notice something. We need to notice that we have a tendency in our lives as God's people. Let's look at verses 1 through 2. It says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners... I just love that... (laughs) All those sinners, the whole world was there? (laughs) All the tax collectors, and maybe we should put in quotes, sinners, right? Were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. You know, in one sense, one of the biggest blessings in life is being a part of a church family, isn't it? I mean, it always brings great joy to my heart. I can't tell you what joy it brings to my heart, what fulfillment to my heart to hear people say, you know, I've been looking for a church for such a long time. This church has been such an answer to my prayers or to our family's prayers. What a blessing that is. Or to hear people say, you know what, we had given up on church. And as I think about years ago, as God was working on my heart to start this church and, and what God was going to do in the future and what the name of this church should be, can you imagine having a name? God's house? God's people? What kind of name do you give it? And I said, God, what do you want this place to be called? And I remember just overwhelmingly God said, I want this place to be new hope. That people who've never known me and have given up on life would say there is hope. There is promise i can have a new day in my life that people who have known me but have maybe been hurt or or have been beaten by life or have backed away from me or had some bad church experiences or whatever it might have been have given up on ever being a part of my family again or serving through my family that 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 we could be new hope 
for their lives. And what a blessing for so many of you to say, I love it, without any prompting at all, just for people to say, you know what, this church has been new hope for my life. What a blessing that is. But in another sense, there's also a great danger in being so involved in church life. And we need to take note of that today, and I believe God wants to draw that out of these verses. If we're not careful, we begin to look a lot more like, if you understand what I mean, church people than a rescue team or God's people. Like the story of that life-saving station, I remember one of those flags going up for me a few years ago when someone asked this question, should we really be eating in the worship area? And I said, well, yeah. What's the big deal? Well, they're like, "Uh, well, that's the sanctuary. I said, no, it's not. This is the sanctuary. That's the sanctuary. That room, as I pointed over to this room, is a room we meet in for worship, for meals, for activities, for fun times together. And yeah, let's be honest, it is a lot of work to clean up all that checks mix, amen? I mean, on, on Saturday nights, if you ever come in on Sundays and there's checks mix in the floor, hey, it's not because we don't clean the place. It's because there was a bunch of people here last night worshiping, and we try to get it all up before y'all get here. But you know what? Thank God for the little hands that spilled it. For the big ones too, Amen. By the way, I don't think my son Drew would come to this church anymore if we didn't have checks mixed. (laughs) He would boycott. (laughs) Look at the religious people here in in verses 1 through 2, though. The Bible says that the tax collectors and sinners were coming to hear Jesus. The tax collectors were some of the most hated people in this society. Most of them were extortioners. When they would go out, they would go out to collect money for the state. And the state would kind of wink, wink, hey, Take what you need. Basically, the state was saying, we need this amount. Whatever extra you get beyond that, well, that's just between you and those people. So in this context, you've got what the tax collectors represent are what we would call bad people, mean people, ruthless people. They were sinners. But surprisingly, isn't this what we want them to be doing? They were wanting to draw near to Jesus. They weren't pushing away from God. They were wanting to come to God. They were wanting to hear from God. But more surprisingly than that is that those who were supposed to be the most godly, those who were supposed to be looked up to and spiritual, they were supposedly the closest to God. They knew the most about God. Those people began to, the Bible says, do what? They began to grumble about it. They began to complain. They began to murmur. And actually, the root word that's used here, and I'm going to impress you with the big word, onomatopoeia. I'm try to spell that. I say it ten times in a sentence, all right? And onomatopoeia is a word that imitates what it describes. It's kind of like cuckoo or bzzz, you know. That's an onomatopoeia. Well, the word that's used here is gungudzo. It's not a Japanese word, all right? They were gungudzo. They were growling. They were murmuring. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Can you believe Jesus is actually hanging out with sinners? They were so spiritual 
They were so godly that they could even correct God himself. Friends, God, have mercy on us today, amen? Remember how you started out with God. You remember how helpless you felt? Do you remember how, how desperate you were? How needy you were? How convicted you were? How heavy it was upon you that I am lost. I don't know God. And, and I don't know what to do with my life. And I need help. And, and could somebody please help me? God, would you please help me? And somebody came along. And whether it's Billy Graham on TV or a radio program or somebody at work or somebody invited you to church, you heard God does love you. God does want to help for you, help you. He wants to, he's paid the price for you. He will forgive you. He will give you a relationship. And do you remember the joy that you had in your heart? Thank you, God. Is this really true? It's too good to be true. Thank you that you will do this for me. And remember as he started working in your life that it just, there was a purity about that that you didn't even know you were supposed to tell other people about the Lord. You just began saying, hey, man, I'm telling you what, something neat's happened in my life. Can I tell you what God has been doing for me? You began sharing that hope with other people. We need to recognize, and some of us have experienced that, haven't we? There's a tendency, after a while, for those of us who've given our lives to Christ, or at least say we have, to lose our focus. We forget, don't we, sometimes, what God has done for us. We forget, sometimes, the primary task that God has given to us. You know what? Sometimes we have a tendency to move away from that passion and that zeal and that willingness to sacrifice and to serve and to pour out our lives in, in, in helping others and in sharing with them. And we begin to have this desire not so much to give as to receive. Not wanting to do the hard work anymore. Actually, it's, it's selfishness, isn't it? It's actually our old man, that old sinful nature popping back up out of the grave. And you know what happens? It's easier for us to do church work and call it the Lord's work than to really do the Lord's work. Church family, we have to take note of this. We have to fight against this for, for the rest of our history. If we do nothing about this, if I as your pastor never remind us about this, if we don't work hard together to keep this our focus, I promise you, and I hope I'm not being prophetic in saying this, one day, we will slowly, more and more, drift towards losing our focus. Little by little, until at one point, somewhere in the future, we will not even remember what it was we were supposed to be doing. You ever heard of the word entropy? You ever heard of that word? Science word. Popular science today wants to tell us that things evolve, that things that things get together, that they come together, that they improve over time. But actually, scientific observation proves otherwise. Entropy is defined as a measure of the disorder or the randomness in a closed system. A measure of the loss of information. Now listen to these words. A loss of information in a transmitted message tends to kind of fade away, get diluted. The tendency for all matter and energy in the universe to move toward a state of inert or inactive uniformity. What about this? Entropy is the inevitable and steady deterioration of a system or a society. 
That is what will happen if we do not keep our focus on our mission. And church family, I need to remind us, this church is not here for your and for my enjoyment. This church is not a comfort station. It is a rescue squad. And as such, it's going to be different than a comfort station. Rescue squads are loud. They are messy. They are seemingly chaotic at times. They are challenging. They are uncomfortable. They are unsettling to you. Things happen that you weren't expecting or maybe that you don't like. What's more easy, a country club or an emergency room? God's trying to remind us. A rescue squad is not here to make me happy all the time. It wasn't intended to. It's here to rescue lives. And God forbid, amen, church family? God forbid that we would ever become one of those, quote, churches where new faces, where new guests, where sticky situations, where messy lives are a hassle to tolerate rather than our primary heartbeat. Amen? Well, that takes us to the second thing in these verses. We need to notice we've got a tendency. Do you notice that in you? Do you notice the entropy in your life? Do you notice a pulling, a leaning away from God's focus? I do. That's what's bothered me about this message. I notice it in me, and I don't like it. Because I notice the second thing. The second thing is I need to understand God's heart. Look at verses 3 through 10. Now imagine this picture. Jesus is there. There's a lot of people around. A lot of them are the church people, the religious people, the ones that you know everybody look to to know more about God. Obviously, they're going to be there if God's speaking, if God's doing something. But then those sinner people show up. And so those religious people, they start saying, hmm, what are they doing here? They're not supposed to be a part of this stuff. Well, Jesus, in his great wisdom, he just says, uh, I got a story to tell you. So he told them this parable saying this, what man among you? He's watching this happen. He says, hey, guys, listen up. How many of you, if you had 100 sheep, and he's talking to a shepherding society, he's using an analogy, a story that would make sense to them, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one, which is lost, until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, he says in verse 8, with a second story, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus is watching what's going on. He says, listen up. I want to tell you a story. He tells them a parable. Now, a parable is simply an everyday life story that is used to communicate spiritual truth. And so Jesus tells them a story that they could relate to. Actually, he tells them how many stories? He tells them we read the one about the sheep. We read the one about the coin. He actually tells one about lost son. He tells three stories. Now, when God says something one time, that's a big deal. When God says something two times, that's a really big deal. 
When God says something three times, uh uh-oh. Have you ever seen over the hedge? Prepare for a lot of stinging. (laughs) This is going to hurt. Jesus makes it clear in these verses that God is passionate about every single person coming to him. Look at what he says. He says in verse 4, What about you? If you had a hundred sheep, you lost one. Would you not go after that one and search for it until you find it? He tells us that God notices when people, or even more specifically, when individuals are away from God. Do you hear the heart of God in this? God notices no matter how many have come to Him, or seemingly come to Him in this context, no matter how many have come to Him, it bothers Him that one is missing. He notices that. And He cares enough about it to go after that one. He not only notices it, but He pursues that one. And He looks for that one until He finds it. Do you hear the passion of our God? Do you hear the persistence of God to rescue us, the intense concern that God has, that He knows that we're out there in that sense without Him, that we're on our own? And in a world that, like that sheep, there's a lot of wolves around, there's a lot of coyotes running around, there's a lot of predators around that will destroy those lives. God is not content that the 99 are safe. It bothers him that there's still one more out there in danger. Then notice in verses 5 through 7, notice the, um, the word that I'm going to use here, I kind of made up this term, the crazy joy that God has. I couldn't think of another way to say it. You could say unbridled, you could say ecstatic, you could say unspeakable. I don't know what else to say. He's beside himself with joy. He, he couldn't stand not having that one in his care, so he pursues it. He's persistent. He's he's not just waiting for it. Do you see that? He's not just waiting for it. He is pursuing that one. And look at what he does when he finds him. It says when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. My kids, especially right now, Lindsay, my little girl Lindsay. Daddy, put me on your shoulders. Can I ride on your shoulders? What, What does it say when you ride on your dad's shoulders? Safety. Love. It's even more than love, isn't it? It's joy. It's look at my little girl. It's we're having fun together. There's something, there's something extravagant about there, isn't it? There's delight in that. The fatherhood of God that he throws that little sheep. Come on, let's go home. It says when he does that, he throws it on his shoulders, rejoicing. As I thought about this picture, I thought about the father, I thought about the shepherd here skipping all the way home. I mean, just he's got that sheep, and he's just, he's just having a good time. I found you. I found you. I found you. And then he calls together his friends for a party. Now, what do you think his friends would say? Uh, okay, you're having a party. Why? It's your anniversary. It's your birthday. No, I found a sheep. Oh, okay. Are you supposed to be in presents for that or, you know, dress up or not? We'll come to your party for a missing sheep. Doesn't it even more speak of the extravagance of God? You just found a sheep. What's the big deal? It was a big deal to him. Why? Because he makes the connection in verse 7. 
He's not just talking about shepherds finding sheep. He says, listen, I'm going to tell you something. That is exactly what happens in heaven when one sinner who turns to God gives their life to the Lord. God doesn't ignore us or disregard us when we're away from Him. God doesn't just tolerate us when we start coming back close to Him. Do you see in these verses? Jesus is not ignoring those sinner bad people. He's not just tolerating that, yeah, if you want to, you can stand there. He actually is pursuing them. He values them. He wants them. He's inviting them in. There's actually a little bit of a slant in these verses. If anybody's getting a little bit of a push, who's getting it? The Pharisees and the scribes, those religious leaders. Did you notice that? It says there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Hey, you're looking down on these people who need me, by the way, and they're coming. Isn't that a good thing? You're looking down on them, but actually, I don't look down on them as much as I look down on your attitude, is what he's saying. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who's gotten far away from God but turns back to him than over 99 righteous persons. And I think you could probably add the sense here is what Jesus is saying is who think they don't need any repentance. What is God saying to us? It doesn't impress him for a bunch of people to get together and look religious. What draws his attention are needy people coming to him. Isn't that awesome? In verses 8 through 10, verses 11 through 24, he reiterates the exact same point two more times. Once with a story about a lost coin, then with more detail about a lost son. And I believe God's just making the point clear. The heart of God is passionate for rescuing sinners from death, hell, and destruction. And I just want to shoot straight with this church family. Any church that loses a passion for rescuing lost ones has lost God's heart. It's as simple as that. We can call ourselves a church. We can stay busy with lots of fun, neat, even busy work activities. We can sing great songs. We can have some nice Bible studies. We can pray often and give much. And other people can say, boy, you guys have a great and active church. But if we cease to be a life-saving station, God is not impressed. In fact, chilling to me, as someone who's to give leadership to this effort, God is grieved by that. And even more chilling is, there's indicator in God's Word that if we take the name of God, If we are saying we are His people, but we cease to do the kind of things that are on God's heart to do, eventually God will remove His presence from our midst. And we'll just be doing our own thing. We will no longer have His power. We'll no longer have His protection. No longer have His provision in our midst. So here's the big question for me. When God looks down upon this earth, Would you just envision God looking down on this earth right now? And somehow He has a way. You know, you ever seen one of those maps where somebody puts a pin and says, we got a company there, we got a company there, we got an outpost there, whatever, all over the world, those little pins. When God puts His little pins, His little flags on His world map, and He sees all these churches, 
when he looks at Queensbury, New York, and sees New Hope Community Church, does he see one that's reflecting his heart? Does he see one where his work is being done? Does he see my heart and your heart beating to share him with others? My answer as your pastor, for my life and for our church, I think in general, I would say yes, somewhat. But I'm not sure, personally, that my heartbeat is quite what his is. And I'm not sure that ours as a whole has quite matched that. Would you describe yourself as a rescue squad member or a club member? Let me give you some questions to think about. Are you a club member or a rescue squad member? First of all, which describes you more? I'm going to give you several situations. Which one of the two describes you more? Are you upset when someone doesn't meet a need that you had? Or are you primarily focused on looking for someone to be a blessing to? Are you focused on getting fed today? Or are you really hoping that you're going to encourage someone else at church today? Are you always seem to be caught up in conversations with people that you already know and enjoying spending that time with them? Or are you also looking for people you don't know, people who are standing alone, maybe you've never met, you've never recognized before to reach out to? Are you just focused on getting you and your family to church, especially with your busy schedule, which all of us have? Or are you actively looking for opportunities to invite others to come to church with you? Are you mostly involved with ministries that help your life or that help people that are already connected with our church to grow? Or are you also actively involved in reaching out personally and with our church family? Are you nervous about how our church is growing and wondering how it will affect, hold on, how it will affect our church? Or are you excited to see the new lives being changed and willing to do your part to touch more? Are you enjoying the ministries that New Hope offers? Or are you looking for ways to help those ministries to expand and get better so we can touch more people just like you? I pray today that God uses what we've talked about to challenge some of our hearts. We have a tendency, don't we? You know what it really is, church family? It's self. I have a problem. I'm selfish. <laughs> we talked about Celebrate Recovery last week. I'm recovering from a problem. It's called self. I need it to die. I need it to die today. I need it to die daily. I need it to die this day. And that's why God gave me this message. Why did he give it to you? Could we possibly, dear Lord, help us. Could we possibly, in the middle of looking like God's people, and maybe even intending to be, really get it messed up? Yes, we could. God help us, amen. If we are truly God's people with God's heart, then it's going to bother us 
that God is working in my life, but there are people still out on the rocks. Amen? There still needs to be lifeboats sent out. And actually, we're going to talk about growth next week. We're going to talk about that we need to grow, that we need to move forward in our relationship with God. But I hope you begin to see that worship and growth, really, in this lifetime, the primary focus for you and I to worship and to grow in this lifetime is so that we'll be better equipped to serve in the lives of others. It helps me so much in my spiritual walk to stay straight and not get off the path when I know you're watching my life. That helps me to grow because I want to be everything I can be to point you to Jesus and to point others to Christ. That's our main focus. That's why he left us here. Is that the purpose that we're fulfilling? Let's bow before the Lord for just a moment. I want to caution you right now to please be careful. Please pause for a moment and ask yourself this question. Am I more like the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people, than I am a needy person hungry for God? Now the caution I would give you is this. As someone who's seeking to follow God, you know what my first response is? Certainly. I'm hungry for God. I'm seeking for God, obviously. Why'd you ask me that question? If you get defensive about that question, or if you find yourself answering it quickly, be careful. You know what God's saying? We all need to stay needy. We all need to stay hungry. We all need to stay helpless. If you've come to Him, if you're no longer lost, He's not saying He doesn't care about the ones who've come in. He's really talking to the ones who say they've come in, but maybe not. Would you let God search your heart? Do you really know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Or are you just a church person? If you know without a doubt, no, I'm one of those lost ones. He found me. I'm on his shoulders. He's bringing me home. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Would you worship him? And would you say, God, please help me. Please help me not to forget what you have done for me so that I will turn around and have a heart to do that for others. And dear friend, if you're here today and your life is on those rocks, if your ship has just crashed and you need a lifeboat to come by, here it is. We're throwing you the life preserver. His name is Jesus. He loves you. He has not left you out in the storm. He cares for you. He even led you here today, didn't He? Because He wanted you to hear. You are so important to Him that He will not allow His people to lose the importance of sharing this message. And I pray that you've heard it loud and clear. What an image of God. Does that blow you away today? He's extravagant. He's passionate. (laughs) Can you picture God skipping home with me on His shoulders? What an amazing God.
Would you give your life to Him? Would you say, yes, Jesus? I don't want to do my way anymore. I want to accept you and receive you. I need you to forgive me, to wash my sins away. I want to trust in you, God. Thank you for dying for me, Jesus. Thank you for rising again. Please come into my life. Please save me. Father, I pray that you would speak to us and that we would listen. We would obey. Please help us. Please cut off those tendencies in us today. Please put to death self and let Christ come through in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me for just a moment. If you're a guest here today, I want to explain to you at the end of our service, we like to have a time where we think about what God has said to us and we give Him an opportunity to work in our lives. Maybe you just need to pray right where you're at or maybe you need to talk to somebody. So I'm going to be down front. You know what? If I wasn't sure that I had been rescued, I would make that sure before I leave this place. And I want to help you. I'm going to be down front. I'll pray with you right now. You can become a part of God's family. Would you receive that gift? Christian friend, would it bother you if you see some of those tendencies we described today? Would you say, God, help me? I have become self-focused. God, help me before I leave this place to put that on the altar, to let it be dead. It's not me. It's all about who? The song says, it's all about you.